Welcome to For 10 Points, the best podcast on the web for everything Quiz Bowl related. Whether you're a player, a coach, or just trying to improve, we can help you get better. I'm your host, Ken Romeo, and with me back from a long summer vacation is my co-coach, Andrew Turiago. Andrew, how was your summer, man? It was fantastic. Uh, it was probably, like many of our listeners, uh, a, a fantastic time to study and relax and uh, get away from the uh, everyday grind of school uh, and maybe spend a little bit more time with the important things in life, like Quiz Bowl. Netflix. Netflix. You know. You know. Uh, yeah, maybe you guys were out there at a camp in Texas or Pennsylvania or Maryland or Darien. Maybe you were doing one of those. Uh, maybe you were just kind of taking it easy. But the school year has started again. And um, as I follow a lot of teams on Twitter, practices are starting all over the country and teams are ready to get yeah. at get at it, get after it. Those uh, teams are not taking it easy and neither are we. We've started. You know, Ken, you tweeted out, uh, anyone who, who is uh, trying to get the jump on us, we, we have already begun. Our practice started day one. Kids showed up before school on the first day of school, ready to listen to some quiz bowl questions. That's right. And uh, so we obviously have a lot of returning members that are ready to improve on what they did last year. And we have a lot of new members. So our first meeting of the year for anybody interested, our interest meeting was last Thursday, the 12th of September, and this was a record. We had 70 kids, around 70 kids in the cafeteria, and uh, I will be honest, uh, didn't quite know. I don't quite know what to do with all of them. I'm so glad that we have that kind of enthusiasm, but um, we're going to have to be creative with, with how we handle so many kids. Uh, uh, Ken, that sounds like a, a serious problem. Uh, I'm sure a lot of teams can relate to that. So yeah, right. right yeah, yeah. Too many kids, some schools much, out there. Too much interest. Maybe maybe too many fun. Too much. Too right. Much, some some schools out there don't even have seven. What do we kids. do with the surplus and the and the fun at the end of the year? Well, uh, so um, speaking of the beginning of the year, maybe you don't have seventy kids, but you certainly do have a room full of players, and um, you know you you might be limited as to how many teams you can bring to tournaments and what have you. Um, but I've often I've often asked some coaches if they have tryouts do they do they make cuts uh we don't here at middlesex um and fortunately for us we host our own tournaments so we can have you know middlesex a through i think last year was middlesex m and we might do something similar this year for our charter oak tournament um but if you show up you can answer questions you can play so so mr t let me ask you what's what's your thought on uh Cuts or, or things like that, tryouts. I think uh, uh, some of the kids that that come in raring to go that probably would would ace a tryout at the beginning of sixth grade. Um, those aren't always the kids that stick all the way through with quiz bowl. Sometimes it's the kids that that start slow. They have friends in quiz bowl. They they just like to answer questions and they they like the crowd that we have. They like the the team morale. Uh, and those kids kind of quickly pick up steam. And some of those kids that maybe would have got a uh, you know. 10 points out of 50 questions uh, that are quiz bowl related things at the start of sixth grade are getting 40 by the end of eighth grade. Sure. So. It, um, and, you know, it comes down to what kind of student leadership you have. And please stick with our podcast today. We are very, very grateful to have uh, one of the legends of Darianne in our podcast studio. Uh, in a little bit, we'll be joined by Coach Tom O'Donnell, who is a, um, a music teacher here at Middlesex and a, and a 
coach in town at the high school. He's been in the district for over 40 years. So we'll be talking to him a little bit. But, Andrew, uh, that's a, a really good point about kids who might not ace a tryout. Um, I know I didn't when I first showed up. Well, you know, I was answering things Jeopardy style. I was so, like, what is? So kids might come in with, with the decent knowledge from fifth grade. And, we're you know, obviously we're middle school. Um, so kids might come in knowing some things in fifth grade more than their classmates. But they're the kind of kids that might rest on their laurels. Mm-hmm. Whereas you might have uh, a shy kid who's not interested in buzzing in in the beginning, um, but who's a voracious reader. And we're taking extremely exceptional notes. Yeah. And by the time sixth grade is over into seventh grade, the shy kid who was the voracious reader will easily pass the the know it all who doesn't need to write things down anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's just a decision that we've made as a as a program that we don't do tryouts and, and we don't cut players. Um, but we do uh, have a placement test that we give on the second meeting of the year. So I've made a Google form and I've um, looked at past NAQT questions and, and things of the like, and I've cut them up into um, just like the for 10 points clue or the power clue. And I've sectioned them out by category and I let all kids take it. They really don't change much from year mm-hmm. to year. But what it does tell me is the, the level where you are right now. Because if I have 70, 70 is a lot, but you know, let's say I have 50 kids, which is a little bit more manageable for our coaching staff, you obviously don't want your best players playing against novices. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get anything out of that. You, you play chess, right, Andrew? I, did, I have, yeah. And, uh, and I, I did a lot more when I was younger, and I remember – hearing from one of my uh one of my friends you know if a if you play against a novice someone who's just learning to move pieces uh and you beat them in four moves you don't get anything out of that um and neither did the person who lost in four moves they don't get anything out of that either and if you play against a grandmaster and 12 moves into the game you're you've lost your queen and your king's in the center of the board you don't get anything out of that either because you don't know how you got there you have to play against people of your same ilk and that's why we do the placement tests to separate kids into groups of similar ability so that every practice is meaningful. They're always playing against the appropriate competition. Exactly. You, you definitely don't want a new sixth grader to feel so overwhelmed by uh, having to play against an eighth grader who maybe is aiming at nationals that year uh, on the very first question. Maybe it's something that uh, a question that if that sixth grader would have gotten, that would have kind of started to light the fire of Quiz Bowl. Like, oh, that's the sports team that I love. And they asked a question and I was able to, to get it pretty quickly. But because there's an eighth grader who, you know, kind of is greedily answering every single question, that sixth grader never gets a chance. So speaking of overwhelmed, it is definitely overwhelming to have 70 kids and uh, how we're going to know them all. Uh, it's going to take a while. But Andrew, you had a pretty good idea yeah, for this year. Uh, so uh, Google Slides is something that uh, I use almost every day. Uh, I just think it's it's fun, it's it's uh, informative, and you know, it, it it I am a visual learner, so uh, that's why I doodle in my notebook. That's why I I always have pictures and videos for kids to watch while I'm I'm teaching and giving examples. And uh, I I felt like Google Slides was just a really quick and easy way for kids to uh, get to know each other because one of the things that I love about Quiz Bowl uh, that that's hard to find in a, in a middle school like ours where it's six, seven, and eight is that inter-year mixing. Like that, that first year, uh, the first first year that you're in middle school, you don't know anyone. Uh, you're surrounded by all of these strangers. And in, in Quiz Bowl, you have a chance to meet other sixth graders from other teams even, uh, seventh graders, eighth graders. We have over 1,200 kids in our school. Um, 
So uh, just making a quick Google slide with a little bit of like an about me, your name, a picture of yourself, uh, and some of your interests was more than enough to start sparking those conversations that are really you know solid gold. And it's certainly helpful for us as coaches uh, when we want to talk about some of our players after a practice and we mention a name, you know, the other coaches might not know who we're talking about yet because it's a new player. We can put a face to the name mm -hmm. pretty easily. So uh, as the season is starting, um, tournaments are starting to pop up. I know we're hosting on November 23rd. We're hosting our ninth Charter Oak tournament. There haven't been too many results, but uh, there has been one. So let's take a look at the scoreboard. It's time to take a look around the country and dive into the tournament results that have been posted. So one tournament so far on the middle school circuit, and that was down in the Peach State of Georgia, North Gwinnett Middle School Invitational. And I was talking to Coach uh, Scott Kim from North Gwinnett. He said he put this tournament together in, in a little over a week, so well done, sir. Um, Chambly A rolls. They win. They finish 9-0 and on the day, and they were led by their fantastic 8th grader, Henry Seegers. Um, they finish uh, undefeated winning their last game 433-345 over the host team North Gwinnett. And uh, Shambly also finished fourth at MSNCT in 2016. And Ken, they've, they've just been a regular on Sundays at Nationals for every year. Uh, Coach Jack uh, or John Donegan has been doing a great job. So uh, unfortunately for this tournament, we don't have any individual results, but there was one student who uh, had a fantastic showing, Ken. Uh, the Epsi Bhattacharya uh, had a fantastic tournament. Um, and uh, if we, only we could see his stats. So he's, he's North Gwinnett? Yes, he is. Yeah, um, yeah the, 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 a lot of the tournaments in Georgia, they don't show individual stats. They don't keep individual stats. And if you look there, they also have uh, no, they don't do negs. They're, they bounce back bonuses. So if you're looking at points per game, just, just take those numbers um, with a grain of salt and, and understand how things are scored. But well done by Chomp Lee and North Gwinnett. I'm sure we're going to see them late in the day, Sunday in Chicago this year. Uh, that's it for the scoreboard. There hasn't been anything else. Um, and we're anxiously looking forward to ours in November and uh, others around the country. So the season has begun uh, for your team. I'm sure you've had your first practices. And if you're a coach, you probably spent time last year, at the end of last year, picking your captains. Uh, maybe you haven't yet. Maybe that, that decision is still on your mind. Or maybe you're listening and you are the captain of a team. And uh, it's your first time doing that. It's, it's, a, it's an honor. It's a cool responsibility. Andrew, have you ever been captain of anything before? Uh, that's a great question. I think I was the, the captain of the video game club in high school. But other than that, uh, I haven't ha had the, the blessing of that kind of responsibility. So. And so what kind of responsibilities did you have as captain uh, of the I video game? I had to game? make sure that the Nintendo Wii showed up. And uh, and when you played regular Nintendo, was it your job to blow in the cartridge? Oh, uh, uh, you know, polish off some discs and make sure the supplies showed up. Uh, basically, I just kept all the, the game systems in my locker so they didn't get lost. All right, I, I have to ask, have you actually ever played regular Nintendo before? Which one? Nintendo Entertainment System? Yes, the NES. Of course I have. Okay, so do you, you know the pain of having yeah. to blow. Okay, but Because I'm sure we have some listeners here, middle school players, high school players, that have no idea what I'm talking about. The struggle was real, man, when all you wanted to do was play video games and just had to blow in that disc over and over again. But anyway, um, if you are a captain, you have your work cut out for you this year, and uh, we are really privileged to be joined by a longtime teacher and coach from 
Darien High School, uh, a good friend of mine, Mr. Tom O'Donnell. Tom, how are you doing today? Doing great. Great to be with you guys. So, Tom, you've been teaching. This is year number 40? 41 overall, 40 in Darien. Okay, and currently you're the coach of the uh, Darien varsity golf team. Is that right? Correct. This will be my 30th year this spring. Okay, so you might be thinking, well, golf and quiz bowl, how are the two related? Uh, there aren't too many like easy comparisons to make, but um, but having coached for a- as many years as you have on so many different levels, you've done freshman, JV. Yeah, I did. Um this is my 30th year doing golf. I was a varsity football assistant 27 years, was the boys' varsity basketball coach at the high school for 10 years. I coached girls' freshman basketball and girls' softball at the freshman level. Um, so all in all, um, I've coached, I think, over 70 different teams at Darien High School. So needless to say, you have a lot of experience at choosing captains and working with captains of teams. Absolutely true. Okay. Uh, so uh, let me just start by asking, how do you pick a captain? Do you use input from players? What do you do? It's changed dramatically over the years. Uh, when I started coaching, coaches kind of all did their own thing and had their own way. Um, uh, because of some recent events, Darien High School has now instituted a policy that every single team is supposed to follow regardless of who's coaching the team. And that basically has uh, the following elements. Any rising junior or senior on the team who's interested has to be allowed to apply. And there's a list of applicants uh, submitted by the coach to an uh, athletic director. Uh, The kids have an application they have to fill out that ask questions like, why do you want to be captain? Name three goals you have to help the team. How will you facilitate communication? It it sounds like there's a lot of red tape now. There's a lot, and it's all laid out, and you're not supposed to have any leeway at all. The voting is done exclusively by the kids. The The coaches don't get to vote. Um, and then the votes have to be delivered to the athletic director who counts them and validates. So, I mean, that's interesting. Obviously, at a a high school level, and I'm sure some of you listening are high school players or high school coaches, um, input from kids is very important, even at the middle school level. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're supposed to be leaders of students, and so you want the students who they're leading to have some input. Now, I doubt too many quiz bowl programs in the country— are under this sort of regulation where there needs to be forms in triplicate, mm-hmm. you know, sent and, and recommendations. Someone counting the votes. It's probably more like uh, who the kids feel like they, they would like to be their captain. So, so Tom, let's take the red tape out of it. Let's pretend we're going back to a time where the athletic director said, OD, who's your captains? And Someone might call it the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> if only <laughs> we knew. If only we knew we were living in the good old days when the good old days were around. But so so going back then, when you didn't have all of these this bureaucracy, for better or for worse, what did you do? How did you pick one? Yeah, in the, in the early days, uh, the team would meet. You'd give a little quick talk to the team. They would write down a name on a piece of paper and turn it in, and and that was it. 
And um, so, so you really would let the the team pick the captain. I always did, um, but I in the old days we used to have a system whereby the coach had two votes that he could uh, include. But there were plenty of coaches um, along the way, especially way back, who picked the captains themselves, and the right. kids had no input whatsoever. So you you glossed over, I think, kind of what we're looking for here. You gave this little speech to the team, like what? So you're you're talking to the team, and you're basically saying what what they should look for in a captain. Yeah, I do now, and that's mainly because I had a particular incident one year in my early career where. Um, we had the vote at the end of the year banquet, and I had a senior that I just assumed was going to be selected. I thought he deserved to be. Um, I really didn't prep the kids too much, and then I found out after the vote a couple days later that in the absence of me talking to the kids in any re real detail, one of the returning captains went around and pressured all of the younger mm. kids on the team to vote for his buddy, who he wanted to be captain. And as a result of that, the, I think the vote was manipulated. Uh, the senior I thought was deserving did not get selected. He was brokenhearted, so was I. And as a result of that experience, I have learned that if you don't give the kids an understanding of what's at stake and 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 give them ownership in picking someone who's going to have a huge impact on the culture and the success of the program going forward and really help them at their young age to understand the implications of their decisions, they're going to vote for their own reasons. And nine times out of ten, that means voting for your buddy. Mm -hmm. So... Can you actually tell us and tell the audience what you tell, like the, those words you tell those sure. kids? The, um, the thing that I try to make clear is that, number one, the person that they're about to select is going to have a huge impact on the culture surrounding our team, how the interpersonal relationships are going to be, um, and that they want to make sure that they pick somebody who's not just interested in themselves, but will actually take an interest in each and every one of the kids and uh, won't be just focused on making themselves a wonderful player or clicking with their buddies, but that needs to be somebody that can really show an interest in everybody and that it's somebody who, through their role modeling, for example, in golf, we expect our our leaders to play in the off season in about a dozen or more events, um, to organize driving range sessions in Stanford with the kids out of season. Uh, a couple times a year, they usually just go to a restaurant somewhere and hang out during the off season to stay together. Um, so that whole sense of belonging and that whole thing is a big part of it. Then of course, playing, competing, um, going to those elite tournaments, uh, through their own example, they should be modeling the things that we have determined make us successful. And when you look at the teams that win, the kids take private instruction, they compete out of season, and they play golf five or six days a week. And then, and we know that when our captains and our leaders model that, more of the kids in the program do that, and we win more successfully. So you try to make sure that the kids understand the decision they're about to make is going to affect their interpersonal relationships, the competitiveness of the team. They should take it seriously, and you try to give them the criteria you think is important. Um, and when we have our ballot now, 
the names of the, the uh, candidates are on it, and across the top are cate- car- excuse me, categories like character, interpersonal relationships, modeling, and the kids have to rate each candidate one to five, and so they really have to look at everyone applying. They have to compare the kids to each other. They're looking at the criteria you've established that's important and hopefully taking all of that in when they make their I mean, ratings. hopefully, but they can still say, whatever, I'm going to go vote for my buddy anyway. They yeah, can. He's, he's my best buddy, so he is fives all across the, the board. And this is one of my big frustrations because I'm kind of a believer, and this is a gray area in this process right now, that you always, if the kids don't feel they're going to be held accountable for their vote, they're going to vote however they want to, regardless of what you say. Some of the kids. I don't think that's true of most of the kids on my team, but there are always some. And I was a believer um, in asking the kids, not asking the kids, telling the kids they had to put their name on their ballot, that I would not change their votes, obviously, but they had to be ready for me to see their ballot see who they voted for and how they ranked kids and potentially have a conversation with me to talk about why they rated kids the way they did. Right. And hoping that was going to provide a little bit. Now, the downside of that, I could, I'm could. i sure there are people right away who would say that's an awful idea. The upside is you hope kids take it more seriously. You hope knowing that they might have to have a conversation with you that they can justify their vote on the other hand, you don't want to make kids just vote for the person they now think the coach mm-hmm. wants them to vote for. Right. On the other side, if you make it completely anonymous, then you probably have very little impact mm-hmm. if they want to abuse the system and just vote for their buddy. So uh, you, you don't just – your captains, if you had to vote, you wouldn't just pick the best players. Very often, if the best player's main concern is his own performance and his own advancement, then sometimes the very best player on your team is probably not the best candidate to be the captain. If you believe, like I do, that um, the captain's primary responsibilities include promoting the uh, positive culture on the team, and also bringing out the best in other people than if they're self-absorbed and they're just really absorbed in making themselves good and getting a scholarship and not worrying about— How it about, looks on the resume. Yeah, get exactly right. Um, then the odds are they're not going to be the best. I always liked uh, what John Quincy Adams said about leadership. If you can inspire other people to dream more— do more, learn more, and become more, uh, then you're a leader. And implied in all of that is that you're inspiring other people to do that right. in addition to yourself. And, and that's not that's not to say that the, the kids who are really kind of only in it for themselves and it's not like they're not valuable to the team, especially in individual sport like golf or quiz bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a player that really is just interested in, in their stats and and answering questions like that's fine they're just not cut out for a leadership role right exactly and sometimes um sometimes there will always be kids who will vote for kids who perform well and uh sometimes it can work as long as there's more than one captain and the other captain can kind of bring strengths 
um, that the other one does not. So my question is, uh, you're mentioning more having more than one captain. What jobs do you usually kind of divvy up among your captains? What uh, what responsibilities are you kind of formally entrusting them with? Well, for me, that's a big list because over the years, I'm a big believer in leadership can be taught. And I'm a big believer that um, the kids are going to do as much or as little as you um, ask them to do. My captains select team clothes for the season. They review and revise the team's mission statement. During tryouts, they all play in different groups to validate the scores of the kids trying out and then give me feedback on the quality of the kids who are coming to the team. Um, They end up helping me select our pairings for every single regular season match, who play in order one, two, three, four, five, and who will be paired with who. They speak to the teams uh, at pasta dinners and at the end of the year banquet about what it's meant to them to be on the team and also any issues that come up that um, uh, they should speak to the team about. Um, We have a rules clinic every year, and they have to get up and teach the team um, some of the basic rules that we come across every day. When we have a couple of team meetings a year after school, I usually order pizza, and it's the captain's job to serve all the other kids first and eat last. Do they also clean up? Because I'm starting they, to like that. They, I like that. They do, and <laughs> all it's everyone's responsibility to clean up. They also are supposed to monitor constantly the uh, relationships of kids on the team, both on the course and in school and throughout town, uh, when they think it's appropriate to step in for conflict resolution and when appropriate to refer them to me. We have a Folds of Honor tournament. Every year for the last five years, we've raised scholarship money for the kids of deceased and disabled veterans. Um, we've raised about thirty grand over that. The oh, kids wow. have to go to the uh, club, set up a date, decide the format of the tournament. They get involved with going around town to businesses to get tea signs that they pay money for that gets donated. I, I, Ken is drooling at the 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 imagined student run tournament that now we. Would I, I was actually drooling at the pizza. I'm still thinking about. <laughs> yeah. it. And the last thing for me is at the end of the year, they have to write the thank you letters to the country clubs because without them, right. we wouldn't have a program. And we were always grateful and appreciative of them. So uh, have you ever – so I guess since the players pick the captains themselves, it's not you making the mistake of the wrong captain. But maybe you can talk about teams that you've had where obviously the team – went with their buddies or, you know, were pressured into picking one person over another. What can happen when student leadership is poor? Well, it says you lead. It doesn't say in which direction. And certainly, um, like anyone else who's coached as long as I have, um, we've had kids who did not, in my opinion, possess the desired character strengths Um, to really lead the team in the right direction. When they come to practice and don't take it seriously, when they are not taking their academics seriously, when they're fooling around in town, when they are involved in drugs or alcohol situations, and they are the leaders of your team, there are always young and impressionable kids on those teams as well. And there's no doubt that, especially if that kid has a charismatic personality, 
he can get kids headed down the wrong direction. They won't take you as serious in practice. They don't work as hard. If those kids don't work in the offseason, the younger kids don't see a reason to do it. Um, and the whole thing can spiral out of control because you only have the kids a couple hours in the afternoon each day. These kids see each other a lot in a lot of other places and a lot of time. And if the captain does not share a vision of the team, he has tremendous opportunity to undermine the coach in everything you're trying to do in private, personal settings away from the course that make our time together as a team more difficult. So my question to follow up that would be, do teams have to have a captain? If, if there's this, this kind of weight of uh, a captain might take the team in the wrong direction, uh, if, if it's not chosen properly, does, can you have a team without a captain? 100% you could. However, um, that would go completely against my philosophy, which is that um, as educators, as coaches, we're interested in the total kid. And part of our job is not just to teach the skills of our sport, but to help um, you know, young kids grow up into men. Leading is a trait that can be learned but it's like anything else. If you aren't exposed to opportunities to practice those skills, you don't develop them. So I know I had a team one year, I will never forget, on the golf team about 15 years ago or more now, where um, we would go to practice and the kids would all show up and look at me like, okay, what do we do now? They lived their whole lives, the start of that, everywhere they went, adults were running everything for them they were not forming their own teams, making up their own rules. They didn't have much initiative. And that's why it became a part of my program that I was going to plan all those opportunities we talked about because part of our job is to help get these, some of these kids ready to be leaders of men. And if you wanted to not have a captain, the other thing you certainly could do is you could maybe have a player's council, which I did in basketball, where there was a kid from each grade level, and they met with me once a week, and we kind of divvied up those responsibilities, and the kids became responsible at every grade level, so that kind of spread it out a little bit more. Um, but ultimately, if kids are going to learn to lead, um, and organize, every organization they go to with the rest of their lives, there are going to be leaders, um, then they need opportunities to develop those skills the same way they do their athletic ones. So I wouldn't be interested in that. I also, it would be easier if the coach sometimes just did everything himself and you didn't have to be patient and, and ask kids to do things and then have it's a lot to more efficient to do everything yourselves, but, you but you're not building the community that you want. Exactly correct. So it all goes back to your philosophy. And for me, a big part of this is making sure there are a number of kids every year that come out um, able to go forward and, and understand how to lead. And um, I think the kids I've, I've had, uh, just to give you an example, there's a former player of mine who now runs a company in San Francisco. And he called me about two years ago when I was pulling into my driveway at home. <laughs> And I'm talking to him, and I said, are you outside? Because it sounded like he was outside. I could hear horns. He said, yeah. He said, I'm having management problems at the company. Not problems, but challenges. Um, I was trying to think about who I could call to help me. 
And I remembered the leadership stuff that you put me through when I was captain on your team. And I'm having some of those issues now. And I wanted to step outside the office so nobody would know I was actually calling <laughs> anybody. And we, I sat there in the driveway and we revisited some of that stuff. And, um, and um, he's just doing a great job. But it also was a reminder to me um, that, um, you know, these kids listen. Um, and some of what he got from me in that um, vein helped him as much as anything he got me uh, in terms of athletics. I think it's a great quality at, of a leader when you see things not going the way you want because people aren't doing what you want them to do. The first step should be, what can I do differently? You know, I, obviously we all want to complain about what other people are doing, but I can't, I can't control that. I can only control what I do. So let me, let me try to do things differently. Uh, I can guarantee you that the kids that listen to this podcast are the ones that are dedicated enough to either be captains now or are aspiring to be captains of their team, either at the middle school, high school, or even college level. So what advice would you give to players who are thinking about being a captain or, or want to be a captain? Great question. And I think that's why I asked. you. <laughs> and it's actually a pretty simple answer, I think, from my perspective. If you've ever been a player on a team, think back to the captains you had that you felt really took an interest in you personally, made the experience more fun, uh, took an interest in your development, um, and then remember those things that those kids did for you that made you feel like a valued member of the team, whether you were the starter or the last kid on the team, um, and then try to um, look at their work ethic and what they've done to achieve the status that they have and try to begin to build those things into your skill set. The other thing is to have the self-awareness while you're a player now on teams as you come up when you're younger, be a little bit self-aware about your own personal interactions with your teammates. Are the way you're interacting with the other kids in your team, is that inspiring and motivating them to be their best? Or is your talk to them the kind of negative thing that knocks them down and, and makes things difficult? Uh, are you leading by example? If someone were to look at you right now and watch you play, would they be inspired by your example? So be aware of the way you are now. Um, be away, not just the way you're playing, but the way you're interacting with kids. I'll give you one other quick note. There's a very, there was a, a very, very good lacrosse player here in Darien who went on to play um, at one of the best lacrosse schools in the country. And he walked into my chorus classroom as an eighth grader, and his head is down, and he looks sad. And um, I knew he was a great lacrosse player, and everything's always going great at lacrosse in Darien at the youth program. So I said, so how's, uh, how's the uh, lacrosse going? And he looks at me and shakes his head, not good. I said, what do you mean not good? He said, we, we actually lost our last two games. And, and the team is not working hard in practice. And, and you know, th uh, there, some kids are bickering with each other. And I knew exactly who I was talking to. I was talking to the best player on the team. And a kid did he end up going to Duke? He did. This is Case, right? This is Case. Case, Case Mathias. If you know anything about lacrosse, not that it's – 
that popular around the country, but yeah, you would know Case Mathias. A great, great kid. Great kid, and I knew he was a great lacrosse player, so I looked at him and, and kind of feigned being puzzled. I said, oh, I said, who are the leaders on your team? Because usually if they come in and work hard every day and they're positive and optimistic and they're inspiring their teammates not to give up and to work hard, I said, um, usually things go in a different direction. Well, he didn't say a word. He put his head down, <laughs> you know, and then the bell rang and class started. Ten days later, um, his mother sent me an email and she said, I don't know what you said to him that day in your classroom, but he has been an animal ever since. And practices are better and, and he's playing better and kids are doing better. That's when I knew he was going to be a leader because if that's all you've got to say to some kid mm – -hmm. And then he goes back out and responds that way, you know he's gonna make it. And he and Case did. Great kid. Awesome. I so I I, I can't help but imagine that there's a there's a coach for a quiz bowl team out there or any other sport out there listening to this right now and they have like a, a little folder on their desk with a, with maybe headshots of the kids. This is how I imagine it. six or seven kids that, that could be the captain. Or as Mitt Romney said, binders of women. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so you, you might have binders of kids. If you're fortunate enough to have a program that's that strong, um, you might have a lot of students who are trying to uh, uh, be that example. They're trying to uh, really inspire their teammates. And how do you choose just one captain? What advice would you give to that coach in that situation? Well, I, I think in, in this day and age, again, in age and following my philosophy, I think it's – and, of course, a lot of this is age-appropriateness. The older the kid, the more responsibility you give, the more input you can give. But I would and, say – And also the, the more you can expect them to handle interpersonal problems. Like if you have an eighth grader trying to handle bickering between two sixth-grade, seventh-grade kids, you know that's not as realistic as a senior dealing with juniors, right? Right. But the thing I think I learned over um, my tenure was – the kid I always thought might be the best leader because maybe they were naturally louder, more gregarious, and they were naturally good um, was not always the case. There were kids whose personalities were quieter who were doing things behind the scenes, and I wouldn't have naturally thought to encourage them. So one of the things I always do now is I encourage anyone who's interested to express that interest and that there should be an avenue for the kids who think they might want to do that to have a way to plug themselves in rather than the teacher unilaterally deciding, I'm going to pick that kid. You might actually not realize that kids have skill sets that are great. If you then give them a short form to fill out, asking them things pertinent to what their job would be, you might really be surprised at the answers you get back from some kids who might not verbalize those answers as well. So I'd, in, I'd ask the kids who are interested. I would certainly get feedback from the kids who were in the group about how they felt about kids. And then depending on how old they are, uh, that would help determine how much the teacher might end up making the decision or how much the kids could be involved in the final decision um, but then once you've picked them, make sure you're there to give them the guidance and the training they need to do it. Don't just throw them out there and expect them to all of a sudden um, be as mature as somebody older would be about handling all that stuff. Tom, this was great. 
I, I wish you the best uh, for the golf season coming up in the spring, and thanks for thanks spending for about mind. half an hour with us. That's great. It was absolutely my pleasure. And one last thing I will leave you with. Um, you both know me a little bit. One of the great lessons I learned for all your quiz bowl leaders and coaches out there, or even the captains, um, I always had the initiative to do everything. I like things efficient. I knew that if I did them, they would happen better and faster. But the number one thing I found out was if I was going to develop leaders, the first thing I had to learn to do was to step back and start understanding that part of the process will be training and patience. But the first thing you have to do, if you want kids to step up, you got to step back a little bit. Uh, if you listen to what Coach O'Donnell said over the past half an hour and you're not a better coach or a better player, then you need to rewind and listen to it again. Tom, yeah. really, thanks again. We really appreciate my, it. My pleasure. Congratulations on the podcast. You have a new listener. Awesome. Thank you. So uh, speaking of great leaders, Ken, uh, I heard you have a little to say about uh, uh, one great leader in this week's Buzz Phrase. The guys at For 10 Points want to help you answer for 15 points. Power a question with this episode's Buzz Phrase. This episode's Buzz Phrase comes from the 2009 HSAPQ Tournament 10. This man's dog, Novato, died at the Battle of Carabobo, and he issued the decree of war to the death during his admiral campaign. The question goes on to mention the letters from Jamaica, the Cartagena Manifesto, and the establishment of Grand Colombia. Of course, we're looking for El Liberator Simon Bolivar. He was known as the Liberator. He was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and rose to military and political power and led a succession of what is now the current countries of Venezuela, Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Panama from the Spanish Empire. Both of Bolivar's parents died before he reached the age of 10. After being passed around a few households, Bolivar was raised by his family's nurse and slave, Hippolyta. Perhaps the most influential figure in his childhood was his friend and mentor, Don Simon Rodriguez. Rodriguez taught Bolivar about many things, including liberty and freedom. When Bolivar was 14, the Spanish government in Caracas accused Rodriguez of conspiring against them and forced him to leave the country. Bolivar then entered the military and completed his studies in Madrid. Interestingly, in 1804, he was present for the coronation of Napoleon in Paris, an event that Bolivar later said had a profound effect on him. Back in South America, after a coup against the Spanish government in Venezuela, Bolivar sought the help of Francisco de Miranda in the hopes of achieving complete independence. After a short time, Miranda saw the Republic Independence Clause as lost and signed a capitulation agreement with Royalist Frigate Captain Domingo de Montevideo. Bolivar and the Republicans saw this as an act of treason and had Miranda arrested. Bolivar then handed Miranda over to the Spanish royal forces. Shortly after, Bolivar began the aforementioned admirable campaign. The Spanish, now back in control, began to persecute the Republicans. They confiscated land and executed thousands. 
In response, Bolivar delivered or entered the Venezuelan city of Trujillo and on June 15, 1813, delivered the decree of war to the death. Venezuelans, an army of brothers sent by the Sovereign Congress of New Granada, has come to free you and it is already amongst you after evicting the oppressors from the provinces of Merida and Trujillo. We are the ones sent to destroy the Spaniards, to protect the Americans, and to reestablish the Republican governments that formed the Confederation of Venezuela. Spaniards and Canarians count on death, even if indifferent, if you do not actively work in favor of the independence of America. Americans count on life, even if guilty. Of course, the Americans he refers to are South Americans. The conventions set by the decree of war were in place until November 26, 1820, when Royal General Pablo Murillo met with Bolivar to declare uh, the War of Independence a conventional war, a war that ended with the Battle of Corabobo and the independence of Venezuela and the establishment of the Republic of Gran Colombia. So, when you hear the phrase, decree of war to the death, liberate yourself from all doubt, buzz in, and say, Bolivar. Uh, Ken, you're really berating us with that pun this week. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, and thank you to all of you for listening to For 10 Points, the best podcast on the web for everything Quiz Bowl related, whether you're a player, a coach, or just trying to improve. Hopefully, we can help you get better. I'm Andrew Curiago, signing off for Ken Romeo, and I will see you all next time.